Hello and welcome to another episode of Pakistanomy. My name is Uzair Yunus and today I have with me Zarar Khoro who needs no introduction. He's host of the show Zarar Hatke, writes a frequent column in Dawn, very active in social media as both Amirul Centristeen and the creator of the Tamgai Che. So Zarar, thank you for joining us and taking out the time. And thank you very much for listing what will undoubtedly be my only enduring legacy. You know, <laughs> is the tamha. I, I hope to be remembered I, by future generations. I think you've made your dent in the universe or the I'd larger like universe. Think, I'd like to think that there's a small tamha shaped dent in the universe. Yeah. <laughs> so, shuru karte baad hamari ek WhatsApp discussion chal rahi thi weekend pe. Usi se shuru karte. Main aaj jab subah utha to soch raha tha ki shuru baad kis kahan se shuru ki jaye. To grad school mein padi thi humne Peloponnesian War to Cydides ki. तो उसमें वो लिखता है कि जब जंग शुरू होने लगी तो एक बड़ी वजह ये थी कि जो लास्ट जंग के लड़ने वाले लोग थे वो मरना शुरू हो गया वो जनरेशन चली गई तो नई जनरेशन आई तो उसने कहा कि हम अपने तरीके से करेंगे और जंग में ग्लोरी है और ऑनर है तो पेलोपनीशन वॉर शुरू हुई उसके बाद जो ग्रीस का हाल हुआ सबको पता है हमारी बात भी इसी तरह चल रही थी कि एक तरह से दुनिया एक रिंस रिपीट साइकिल पे है इट्स अ वेरी डेंजरस टाइम so first i let you explain what, what concerns you around that and then we can talk about where we agree and disagree and where we go from here okay well i mean you know um that's a given right i mean um there's this very good there's this movie which is one of my like old favorite movies and it's uh, called excalibur i don't know if you ever seen it it's a bit of a cult classic theek hai to usme ek scene hota hai Okay, uh, you know when they're like standing there, and um, you know Arthur's become king. Okay, and everybody's all happy, and then Merlin comes in, and you know he's like a bit of a downer, you know, and he gives this whole speech. Okay, like you will remember this, huh? For it is the curse of men that we forget, <laughs> you know. So that is that is our basic nature as a species. Now you know, in some ways, it's a good thing, right? um the act of forgetting is in many ways critical to moving forward right um hamare yahan ab ek aur thoda sa masla ho gaya na uzair ke we are not just forgetting we are actually rewriting our history to suit our present political uh, uh social needs um you know there are alternate history if you want to just put it like you know uh, charitably there are alternate histories um for example take a look at what's happening in india right this history of victimhood this which leads directly to the sense that oh now is the glorious rebirth of a nation that you know perhaps arguably never really existed right and that's something you will find in many streams of thought right i mean islamist thought is filled with uh, uh the harking back to a golden age forget about the reasons that caused that golden age to exist forget about how golden that age was but it creates this wonderful narrative uh, narrative of victimhood which can then is and uh, will be cynically exploited by a uh, modern day demagogues again isme koi nayi baat nahi hai right i mean i firmly believe that there's nothing new under the sun ha huh? um but like i mean i love to quote mark twain on this right the history does not repeat itself but it does rhyme right so we are seeing history rhyme all over the place uh, it doesn't concern me though i'll have to tell you that uh, i mean it's fascinating to watch it sometimes you wish you didn't have to live through it right but but from an academic point of view it's interesting to see don't you think i think it is and i think the ek 
the one thing that's changed in this, and that to me is concerning more so than just as an observer of this unfold around the world, is the scale and pace at which it is unfolding, right? Yeah. And and it 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 is a generational shift in the sense as well that fake news hai. Hmm. Usko, we, you and I can spot it. Most people can. My parents sometimes can't, for example, there's a generational yeah, gap in I that. But um, there is that fakeness on social media in terms of Instagram at a very young age now, right? Entire sub industries about how to make you look nice. Even Zoom now has a touch up filter. I don't know if someone told me two or three ٹیکنالوجیبلوجیبلوجیبلوجیبلوجیبلوجیبلوجیبلوجیبلوجیبلوجیبلوجیبلوجیبلوجیبلوجیبلوجیبلوجیبلوجیبلوجیبلوجی
I have actual articles written by people saying, oh my God, people are going to become mental patients. Who will travel so fast? Then you are going to the tunnel, you are going to the tunnel, you will go blind. I mean, now you, you like chuckle at that kind of stuff, right? But at that point, it was a very real and present concern. So it's possible that that stuff will level out. It's possible. I don't really think so, though. I, I think it's going to get a lot worse. Um, and I think you are basically in a new age of, uh, you know, sort of neo-fascism and demagoguery. You know, if you ever got out of it in the first place, which uh, again is arguable. But what, so let me push back on you here. So just look at India, for example, right? And it's next door to Pakistan has had Modi come in since 2014, consolidate power, et cetera, et cetera. We know all of that that has happened. But if you look at the legit numbers in historic wins that the BJP has had, percent of the vote population bhi nahi vote turnout koi 60 something percent of that. So in US may 75 million voted for Trump, but again, historic win on the Biden side, 80 plus million votes record turnout ke bawajud. So when you look at the resistance quote unquote in these societies, the, their numbers are also strong. So why are you of the opinion that it gets a lot worse before it gets better? I'll, I'll push back to your pushback. Uh, opposition to the BJP, political opposition to the BJP, casting a vote to the BJP, in my view, is not resistance to the overall social agenda that is being implemented. Okay, uh, can you hear me? I've lost you. No, I can hear you. I think the video just froze, but like, now you're back. Yeah, my internet is kind of low, uh, not working very well. Dekho, I'm not looking at this in terms of I am looking at what I see as a historic societal shift. And I'm not even counting it from 2014. I'm counting it from uh, Mahabharat. I'm counting it from the televising of the Mahabharat show, which in turn led to a massive groundswell in this sort of religious feeling. That feeling was then capitalized. I'm looking at Vajpayee and the Rath Yatra. I'm looking at Advani. I am looking at what I see as complete state capture. Okay? So I'm not... I think I lost you there. Okay. Trump was... I mean, come on. The man is a complete idiot. He lied with every breath. Yet you still have 71% of Republicans saying they'll vote for him. And that's not in spite of who he is. That is because of who he is, right? So yes, the forces of resistance, I mean, as you call them, I may differ with that, disagree with that term slightly. Yeah, they exist. But I see the tide not stopping, though. You know, I mean, one swallow does not make a spring for me, man. And Abhito Modi, boss, this is this feeling is going to go on for decades. Okay? I mean, I'll give you a small example, right? When the far right gains, the entire political spectrum moves to the right. Okay. Now, even if you don't believe their ideology, you will start catering to it because you need those votes. Um, who in India, in the mainstream parties, I mean, call them resistance all you want. Who said anything about the Supreme Court's decision to uh, uh, sanctify the Babri Masjid demolition? No one. Because they can't afford to, because they will lose the core voter. Okay. On the other hand, I mean, has Modi been good for India? On on the usual academic metrics that we use, 
I mean, has the economy improved? Has foreign policy improved? You know, no, none of those things work. Demonetization hit the people the hardest. Yet they will still support him. Why is that? Because he's not there to, you know, give you double-digit uh, 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 GDP growth. That stuff is academic, brother. Okay, he's not there to, uh, you know, uh, for anything else. He is there to restore their manufactured sense of pride, and that is why he gets the votes. That's not going to change in America. I mean. Yeah, get on on that because it's a thought. Before I lose that stream of consciousness, something that I've talked to people here in the U.S. that are of the Pakistani diaspora, right? And when they look at what's going on in India, you know, and and describe pretty much what you've just described, the question I have for them is, do they then think that? And you're in Pakistan, so I think this is an interesting perspective as a question. Do you then think that the rightward tilt? And India's illiberal turn in writ large makes Pakistan and Pakistanis talk to their better better angels, or does that make things in Pakistan worse? In the sense that if you are going to have an India that is going after Muslim minorities, does the conversation then in Pakistan pivot and say, "Look, we don't want to be like that. Let us treat our minorities better, or let us not be." the quote-unquote Muslim India. Sashi Tharoor likes to use the word Hindu Pakistan, so I will use his term as the Muslim India. And let us fix everything else that has gone wrong on our side over the last few decades. Do you think that leads to a better conversation or, and create space I, for it or not really? I think, I think, I think, I think in, I lost you there for a minute. Can you hear me? Okay, I can hear you now. Yeah, um, from what I understood, yeah, in, 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 in many circles, that is a conversation. Look, I can't speak for everybody, right? But uh, that does seem to be a strong sentiment. And it certainly seems to be a sentiment in the corridors of power. <laughs> um, you know, I think I'm a bit of an optimist in that sense, in terms of where the thing is. But I think if I were to use a pop analogy, you would say that this is Lord of the Rings part one. And now we know that there is so much power in Mordor, but power is getting more and more. And the situation is going I would go further than that. I would say that this is the second age of mankind, but Sauron is still coming into power in the first place. <laughs> Frodo is a very far distance. Frodo is a very far distance. There is no Frodo here. There is no so from that person, I know you said Pakistan is not backstreet crazy. Again, I'll push back on what I see is a very big concern um, emerging there. Um, it's not fully there, but I think it has the power to fundamentally shape and it has shaped Pakistan's national security policy in the recent past as well, is the TLP. And I think the difference between the TLP and the TTP, for example, is that the TTP, while it was more militant, it was on the periphery of the country, mostly speaking. TLP is right in Punjab. And it is in Karachi. I know a lot of people in Karachi last election that yeah. voted for the TLP. It has financial backing, etc. Does that 
how do you see the TLP itself and its sort of meteoric rise under Khadim Hussain Rizvi? And where, where do you see it going from here? Because it is still contesting elections and it has popularity and it has grassroots support. Look, I mean, we've been having this conversation for years now, frankly speaking. I mean, look, um, okay, you can look at it in many ways. If you want to look at it in terms of politics and political vacuums, then uh, yeah, the sort of demise of the Sunni Tariq and these kind of groups led to a political vacuum in the Barilvi uh, community. So the TLP emerged and they were fortunate to have a, for whatever you want to say about Khadib Rizvi, you cannot deny the fact that he was an intensely charismatic public speaker. Okay. He had the ability to, and I mean, his command over language, his command over even scripture, I mean, you know, uh, you can argue of how he used it, right? The devil can quote scripture to his own purpose and so on and so forth. You know, to Iqbal, to local Punjabi colloquialisms, you know, he's fun to listen to, man. And he appeals to that audience. And there is very much a vote bank for it. Um, but it is not a national societal project now, and I don't see it becoming one um, even in the mid to long term. Okay? Because unki appeal is limited to a certain community and to urban and peri-urban uh, regions. We have seen uh, political Islamist par parties rise and we have seen them fall. This will fall largely into that same category. They're going to be around. They're going to have a lot of, make a lot of noise. They have a lot of street power. And they will, using all of that, be able to influence policy to some extent or the other. And the very fact that they exist and the very fact that they get votes, I mean, this will, I'll just uh, hark back to my earlier point, is when the extreme right goes more extreme and gets support for it, then you find that the center shifts. So their talking points you will find being echoed by every party. And to one extent or the other, you do see that. We have seen that. We have seen that in the blasphemy law debates. We have seen that in the Khatmi Nabuat debates. We have seen that in the recent controversy over France. But by no means um, can I honestly compare that with the Sun Parivar in India because that is an animal of entirely different shape and size. Agreed. It's a, it's, so, a, it's a more grassroots movement. It has more um, appeal and it is on its journey to achieving whatever social project that it is trying to achieve for the last many decades. But Pakistan, that's again my question. When you said TLP, it's not a larger societal project. Societal project complete nahi ho gaya. Blasphemy law to constitution mein hai. Ahmadiyon ko gair musalman constitution mein hai. To agla kya hoga project mein? Matlab, Sunni majoritarian state to ban chuka hai already. It's been like that for a I mean, again, are we discussing this in isolation or are we discussing this in a comparison with India? Because again, that is a completely different animal at work. In and of itself, I see attempts being made, however isolated, at cost correction. Okay? Uh, this does not mean that the laws against the embassies are ever going to be repealed. That is never going to happen. That does not mean that there will be fundamental reform, and I'm using the term reform on the blasphemy law. I'm not insane that on any forum I would say, reveal karo. I say, I'm not going to say anything of that sort. But there are things that we need to, uh, you need to put in some safeguards. And what are those safeguards? Uh, the former Chief Justice himself pointed those out. 
where is the penalty for bearing false witness right if you were to falsely accuse someone of blasphemy then have you not in fact committed blasphemy okay those people who attacked uh, the temple in karat is that not blasphemy you see so th uh, there are numerous currents all flowing at the same time you know many of them have already prevailed fine there's no uh, doubt about that but where does it go from here does it get more intense i don't really know there are attempts being made by uh, clerics from various denominations to widen the the scope of blasphemy okay koi ek shia zakir kaiga ke ji inhone matlab is hasti ke bare mein baat ki hai ye bhi blasphemy hai theek hai on the other hand sipai sahaba wale kahenge ke ji inhone you know गुस्ताखी की And immediately thousands of people came out. They're kissing his hand. They're kissing his uh, uh, cheek, and they're jumping up and down. You know, Sardan se juda and all of that. They walk into the police station. They stand at the roof of the police station. But what happens eventually? Right? What happens eventually? Now that guy is under arrest. Now everyone knows that you know, for lack of a better term, the entire thing was BS. Having said that. The one of the reasons that that went down that particular road is that when they looked at the murdered bank manager's uh, Facebook profile, you know, it is clear that he is a Ashikar Rasool. Okay, उसमें आयत है, he's condemning France, ये blasphemy, वो blasphemy. कोई और होता, अगर उसे यूनिस होता, तो शायद ये reaction ना आता, right? But baby steps, man, baby steps, right? So I look at that as some form of arrest. Does that mean that oh my God, you know, spring is here? No, one swallow does not make a spring. You know, जब मैं कोई पचास साठ हजार swallows देखूँगा तो फिर मैं हाथ होगा कि हाँ हो सकता है कि spring आ रही है. But this is how it is, you know. Yeah. And then no, by no means unique in it. Man, the whole world, the whole world is is engaged in a pronounced right word trip. Huh? For us, that's like हाँ यार ये तो हमने कर भी लिया यार. आगे है थोड़ा थोड़ा आगे चलेंगे दुनिया से. Are you familiar with the term Islamo-leftism? Do you know where that comes from? Huh? Islamo-leftism is a term that has been in vogue in like sort of far-right, alt-right, neo-Nazi circles. If you go on the discussion forums, and I have been for the better part of a decade and a half. Okay, just for fun, just to see what they're talking about. They are using this term now. You know who's using this term? The French government itself. Yeah. Okay. Are they watching a debate between a French minister and Jean-Marie Le Pen? Okay, right. You all know Jean-Marie Le Pen is right. For the benefit of your uh, listeners and viewers, you know she is the uh, leader of the uh, the far right French National Front. I think it's called the National. Yeah, and the second yeah. most popular politician in France. She was second most popular politician in France. Do you know what the French minister, who was a member of Macron's government, obviously, you know, he said to her. He said, "You're too soft on Muslims." <laughs> to Jean Marie Le Pen, you're telling Jean Marie Le Pen that you know you're too soft on Muslims. That's kind of like telling Hitler that, "Yar, you Jews are very much loved by Hitler." Huh? What happened? Why do you think he's doing that? 
He may actually believe it, and I believe that he believes it. But beyond that, there are cynical political motivations. Yeah. You see, the face, you see, 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 if you want to talk about the United States right now, there are some major inflection points approaching, right? Very soon, Caucasians are not going to be the majority, okay? That's going to be like, you know, accumulated people of color, right? How do you think white America is reacting to that, right? Where do you think this whole take our country back, make America great again, which obviously means make America white uh, uh, conservative again? That is where it comes from. And then there is something else coming, okay? Because you're familiar, we're all familiar with the concept of national myths, right? These are stories that we tell ourselves about who we are, where we come from. For some, it's like world's biggest secular democracy. Right? Yeah. For America, what is their single national slogan? If I were to boil it down, we're number one, right? Well, in another decade, you won't be. Right? The Chinese economy, and I'm not just coming out of this on my own, there are you know, documented reports projecting it. By 2050, they were supposed to become the largest economy uh, in front of the United States. Now, thanks to coronavirus and uh, the way they handled it, initial uh, mishandling notwithstanding, and the way America has, well, not handled it, right, yeah. is, has pushed that timeline back to, to push that timeline back to 2030. How do you think America is going to react to not being number one? It's going to be a national crisis of confidence like you have never seen. And it's coming. It's not even there yet. Okay, like again, like, you know, you may want to look at Biden, PR, Biden, GPR. They can 70% of Republicans will still vote for Trump. Despite yeah. him being a complete psycho. Okay. Matlab yet they will support him. What happens when a slightly smarter, savvier Trump comes along? And he will come along. Because what he has shown, he has shown is how to marshal white America in the flyover states that nobody ever gave a rat's ass about. And these are their concerns. You know, these are the people who believe in chemtrails. These are the people who believe that the UN is coming in white, in black bloody helicopters. You take away your guns and your pickup trucks, right? This is only beginning. Yeah. It is manifesting itself so many times in history. I've told this to many people who believe that sort of the, what you said, you know, white America becoming the minority is a good thing for Democrats. I always argued to them that actually if the Republicans were smart and toned down just a bit on their xenophobia, their coalition of brown Absolutely. people would grow this much. Because you look at Muslims, You're you right. look at Hindus, you look at Latino Latinos, they're all conservative. They don't like big government. They don't like paying taxes. They are against abortion rights and they're against LGBTQ. They're all, they're not leftists. They've been yeah. forced into the leftist camp because the other side is so xenophobic and bigoted. Absolutely right? right. And a smarter Republican politician who's more populist will quickly realize, wait a minute, I can actually expand my base much, much more by appealing to these people's nativist instincts as well. And again, going back to our initial conversation about the scale and the speed of lies and the way they spread, it's a, it's a gold mine that is waiting to be tapped and I think that's a big danger. Yeah, yeah, Ozan, the Proud Boys already figured that out. Yeah. The Proud Boys aren't all white, 
right? They have people of color in there, okay? Now imagine that, I can't wrap my head around, but imagine that, they figured it out, you see? So um, other people will too, you know? I mean, that's, that's just inevitable, and that's just good, good politics. And I'll give you a funny example of this, right? Now, the Israeli, Jew, Israeli Jews and the Palestinians generally don't like each other, right? And if there are going to be two groups within those groups who really hate each other, those would be the ultra-Orthodox Jews, right? In, in Israel, I'm talking about. And the Palestinian Malbis, the Palestinian clergy. Do you know the one issue on which they were united? This is some years back. That there should not be a gay pride rally in Jerusalem. Yeah. <laughs> on that, they were like a boss. So, you know, that's very much there. That's very much there. And I mean, again, it's only really getting started. Man. This is not over by a long stretch. Not, yeah. and, and you know, here's the thing. Things are never really over. That's the thing, okay? Like, I mean, in, initially you gave the example of the Peloponnesian Wars, right? Now think about this, right? Think about this. Suppose you're a Holocaust survivor, okay? And you were in a concentration camp. Post that, you moved to the United States. You saw the defeat of fascism. You saw the rise of sort of, you know, leftist, blah, 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 more tolerance and, you know, um, equality and all of that. And you're in your 90s and you actually see neo-Nazi talking points being parroted by the president. Right, you see that discourse normalized to the point where people are marching in the streets, giving the uh, Sig high. How would you feel, right? Because here's the thing, and this is something that I think activists or the world over need to understand, as hard as it is, is that you will never actually win, but you have to keep fighting, right? Your victories are temporary. It is a constant war. Okay, you may achieve great victories in your life, and then at the end of your life, see yourself lose. But that doesn't mean that your struggle was in vain. You know, you, you fought for, sometimes you may see a victory, the victory that you wanted may come two generations after you're long dead and your bones are dust, right? But what you did will be remembered. It will be remembered that you stood up and you fought, you know, even yeah. if you may never see victory in your lifetimes. And I think America may have gone Maslayan, was that? And, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, this is just a theory of mine, right? It's a young nation. And thus far, its interpretation, its perception of history is linear, right? Always moving forward, huh? the westward expansion, you and always has been one of victory, okay? I mean, minor Vietnam, Vietnam, they lost the battle, but they won the war, right? They won the Cold War, arguably, okay? Um, you won the revolutionary wars, you won the Indian wars, by committing genocide, but be that as it may, right? Civil war with the North Korean ideology once. Spanish-American war gave you an empire, right? And then World War One, then World War Two, then the Cold War, right? In the actual world, we know that history is not linear. We know that history is cyclical, right? We know that one day you're an empire and the next day you don't exist. There is nothing in American history, there is nothing in American culture, there is nothing in the American understanding that explains this to people. I think you're right on that. I think one of the important things that, you know, I was watching this course from a Yale historian on the civil war. And he said something very profound that has stuck to me as an immigrant who is now an American as well. 
that I did not understand up until I point the point that he pointed this out was that the American way of life is basically one where the goodness of people is always in constant battle with the terrible things that people bring to the American North American shores with them. He used slavery in this example, but he said, if you look at sort of the Civil War Lincoln-esque victory, it was very quickly followed by a rightward tilt after Reconstruction, which meant that yes. after Reconstruction, yes. it took another hundred years for black senators and congressmen to be elected from those states that won, right? There was a big wave that came. And then he said, look at President Obama and his victory was followed by Donald Trump. Now the cycles are shrinking because just the way the world moves now, but he was like, we are going through the second reaction to the fact that the black man became president. And to your point, it, you're absolutely right that the victory is never fully there, but that's why institutions, constitutions and norms are very important because they act as safeguards because it's very, yeah. it's hard even for a Trump-like incompetent person with advisors that sort of knew the system, it's very hard. McConnell can shove through judicial appointees, but the norms of the institution will still force the judicial appointees to say, wait a minute, there was no steal here. You guys are batshit crazy. Even though you appointed me, I'm going to rule against you. Yeah. And I think yeah. that will be the test, right? We're going through a stress test of institutions globally. And that whether they the survive or not is that a question. Is the that is yeah, that is the test. Look, institutions are crucial, man. Institutions are crucial. Because what you talk about, that's still going on. I mean, I mean, recently in Georgia, uh, I was uh, reading that in Georgia, they've uh, banned, uh, like, they, did, they said, you know, they can't be any voting on Sundays. Now, there's a reason for that. It's because most of the African-Americans, they don't own their own transport. They work jobs, so they can't take time off to go and stand in a long line and vote. So the black churches, which, as you know, they get together on Sunday, and then they put their parishioners on buses and they take them voting, right? So this is this is voter suppression. It's going on right now. It's 2021. Civil War Cup ki baat thi, you know? So there's a constant push and pull. There's a constant struggle. I would be lying if I were to say that I'm certain how things are going to turn out. But I see the downward trends as being more pronounced than the upward trends. And especially when I factor in things like climate change, especially when I factor in, you know, uh, global economic downturns, environmental degradation, right? Yeah. No, all, all of this. Uh, uh, sorry, my, my Adobe Flash player just suddenly yeah, wants no. to do. <laughs> like, um, just in a way, yeah. So um, when I factor all of that in, right, um, I see crises. And whenever there are crises, as a general rule, it is a righteous ideology that emerges from them. I've very rarely seen a you know progressive ideology emerge from crisis you know i i think i think mostly the overall sweep of history is in that direction you know again again who knows you know the tyranny of the present right um we live in these times so we think that they cannot be ever be different maybe it might be i would hope that it might be you know my heart says it should be my brain says I think one area where I, I will, again, push back, I know you mentioned this, China being number one. I think while a lot of the Western democracies have gone through, and in the Western democracies, I would include even Japan, have gone through economic and political stagnation and this stress test overall, China still to face a stress test anywhere close to something it faced after the Cultural Revolution. And I think 
the consolidation of power that has happened there under Xi. Yeah. Um, and and I am not a China expert, but I loosely understand its system is going to bring about a stress test for that economy and for that country as a whole. And I think that will be, again, authoritarian regimes are really muscular and really strong on the outside, but really hollow and weak on the inside, very brittle. And when that stress test comes, and I think that's where a lot of my conversations with yeah, no, no, no. I mean, look, that's entirely is going to be interesting to see how does China react to its own internal cleavages? We don't know yet. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is a big unknown. That is no doubt a big unknown. Um, but then we also must not lose sight of one thing, right? Is that China isn't a country? China is a, is, is, a, is a situation. Okay, and I mean, um, you're looking at five thousand years of history here, and you have seen a nation that has gone through unimaginable crises, uh, and yet here it is. And I mean, you know. Let's give the devil his due. Uh, the amount of people they have lifted out of poverty, um, I think there is no precedent for that in human history. Okay, I remember uh, I came across this thing, and you you enjoy this. I'll try to find it for you. I came across this really interesting report uh, from the 1970s, and they're confidently predicting that yeah, there's going to be a big problem because there's going to be a famine in China and millions of people, hundreds of millions of people are going to be starving and it's going to create instability all over the world. How are we going to deal with that? Look at them now in 2021. So yeah, um, and it's also very hard to, to really predict anything about China because it's this whole system is so opaque, right? You, you really don't know. I mean, I can't, you certainly, I mean, I don't think either of us can with confidence say what exact internal stresses and pressures there are. Um, which is why I think that uh, like uh, Xi Jinping in particular is sort of promoting this aggressive Han nationalism, you know, because you need a myth to sell to people, right? So I think this is the myth that he's selling. And so long as successes keep coming in, it's an easy myth to sell. Um, yeah, the, the big, the big, I think one of the great uh, uh, unknowns of our time is how they would react to an actual uh, uh, crisis. I think that would be the true litmus test. Let's, um, again, we'll only know when it actually happens. Yeah, and I think speaking of predictions that go wrong, I remember even from the 50s, 60s, there were lots of Western predictions um, that India would splinter and balkanization, that was, that's a later term, but basically that's what was being described was that there were famines, food shortages, the economy was stagnant, the famous Hindu rate of growth became the term of choice for decades. Um, and look where we are, it hasn't splintered at all. Yeah. Um, and in fact, has become a pretty strong, innovative economy. But yeah, these types of predictions, I think when people predict, make these predictions, I'm like, I don't know, I can tell you what the tests will be. And then choices yeah. determine what comes out of this, right? And, and what sort Precisely. of reforms come out uh, to respond to that crisis are important. Yeah, there's so many variables, you know, I mean, I mean, you cannot, I mean, any one, I would avoid confidently predict You know what I mean? You can say these are the various possibilities and I know how wishy-washy that sounds. But that, that's how it is, right? It would be dishonest to, to really say anything else. Yeah, um, that's, that's 
ट बाद में कोई ये क्लिप निकाल के आ गया जितने दस बारह पंद्रह परसेंट पे ग्रोथ चल रही है वो कहते हैं ना कि हर एक चीज के साथ नीचे लिखना चाहिए शराय तो जवाबित लागू है स्पीकिंग ऑफ प्रोडिक्शन लास्ट बिफोर आई लेट यू गो दिसरफुल डिस्कशन लेकिन थोड़ा सियासत और मिर्च मसाले की बात प्रोडिक्शन पे ना हो तो सुबह का नाश्ता पूरा हजम नहीं होता मार्च में इलेक्शन है सेनेट के पाकिस्तान में शोर शराबा बहुत चल रहा है क्या आई थिंक इट्स जस्ट स्टॉर्म इन टी का फजूल की वो है शोर शराबा चल रहा है व्हाट डू यू थिंक अबाउट ऑल दैट्स हैपनिंग यार आई आई एम फाइंडिंग इंटरेस्टिंग इज द लेवल ऑफ पैनिक आई एम सीइंग इन द गवर्नमेंट ओके देयर इज कंसीडरेबल पैनिक इन द गवर्नमेंट आई मीन what that seems to indicate look i mean look i'm i'm always like the sort of cynic and i'm always like the naysayer in this okay um and you know mera hamesha ye tha ki i need pdm to kuch nahi hone wala and when i say kuch nahi hone wala i mean ki like obviously the maximalist objective of you know getting rid of the pm that's never going to happen but it does seem to me seem to me that they have achieved one thing and that is to get the establishment to at least temporarily back off from one or two things jaise abhi ye jo daska mein hua hai right this is not double pindi this is not i don't even think islamabad it may be from lahore but i personally think ki ye jo hua hai na it happened on a very local level now if the establishment was fully saying ki sir we will handle your senators for you the ppp would pti would not be panicking they have already been through this before when some of their guys went over to the pakistan people's party i mean whether they listen to the voice of their conscience or whether they listen to you know stacks and stacks of notes that's another story entirely but uh, the very fact that they have brought in their big guns sort of jangi tareen is back in the field various other things are going on it does seem to indicate to me that they are sensing trouble and particularly this whole like sort of drama that they've done with the you know putting in the ordinance and then going to the supreme court i don't think any of it is going to come to anything but it speaks to panic so um it would be interesting i think to try and unpack why there is this panic i mean after all aap to one page par hai aapko to koi aisa challenge hi nahi hai aapko to koi hata nahi sakta to fir itni tension kyun it's a question i think you, i think you're right that the establishment probably is saying we don't want to get involved in this 
do your thing, run your own politics. And they've, I think the ruling party is in a panic because it's realized that it is not as good as running with politics as it would like to be. And there is a lot of discontent among allies and among the less ideological supporters of the PTI within the party itself. And that means there's room for wheeling and dealing. And you can be, you know, a lot of people on social media, Sarah, are all you know, moralistic and idealistic about it. And I'm like, dude, I sit here in the United States. This is how it works. We're talking about bringing pork back into the system in the congressional system, which was eliminated a few years ago because it helped move. It was the grease that moved the wheels along of the legislature, right? And there are things, each democracy, each even an authoritarian government has its own ways of greasing the system and moving things along. And if you don't pay attention to those, things will get stuck and people will come back at you when they can. <clears throat> yeah, these people think that the world is an Alif Lela ki kahani, na? Right? They live in a fairy tale. Yeah. And this is not, this is not the oasis of the imagined, yeah? This is the desert of the real. Huh? This is how it works here. Yeah. So we'll see. I think I think they will just get over the hurdle, but it will be a fun fun ride while we're at it. And I think even yeah, a I best know, case scenario uh, doesn't really help them a lot. No, it, no, it really doesn't. It's not, I mean, again, again, you know, I mean, coming back to your original storm in a teacup, not much is really going to change, but it's going to be fun to watch while it's happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's so what we do, right? We just yeah. we sit, we watch, you know, we try to amuse us. And, and we will watch your analysis with Musad Saab and Mubashir Saab, particularly with Musad Saab's tongue-in-cheek sarcasm oh. that sometimes goes above people's head. And people, it takes, even for me as a regular watcher, it takes a couple of minutes sometimes to get what his intended meaning was, but he's really good with his that type of play. So I think I'm a big fan of the show. And thank you so much for joining us for this discussion. It was great. I think we covered a whole host no, of topics, broadly speaking, but... Thank you so much and have a great rest of the day.